Welcome to the latest episode of Comic Book Physics, released through Bureau 42. I'm your host, Blaine Dowler. As you can clearly tell by now, I'm a little under the weather, and it is affecting my voice. So as with last week's X-Files podcast, I'm going to have to keep this one fairly short, just so I know I'm going to make it through it. We are going to continue to draw our inspiration for this podcast from the unofficial 75 Greatest Marvels Countdown podcast. The episode of that show that came out today is Spider-Man Blue. There's a lot of Spider-Man behind us, and there's more ahead of us. So I'm trying to leave a lot open, taking this for inspiration, going through it. The topic I've chosen is just barely inspired by this. In that story, Peter Parker is recording a message to Gwen Stacy on some old recording equipment that he found that belonged to his Uncle Ben. So this month, we're going to talk about recording equipment, how you record sound and translate that back into something we can play back. And also importantly, how we can take sound from multiple sources, record it in a single source to be output through a single speaker and sound almost exactly the same, losing only directionality information. So how does that work? Well, first we have to ask ourselves, what is sound? Sound is what we refer to as the way we interpret longitudinal waves or compressions and rarefactions of the air or other fluids that are pressed up against our eardrums. So it doesn't matter whether it's air, whether it's water, what's really happening is that something is compressing the molecules in that and then expanding them in what we call a longitudinal wave because it's waving in the same long direction as the wave travels. So if it travels down a straight line, the particles that are waving are traveling along that same straight line. Compare this to light and other waves that are transverse waves, which go up and down while the wave itself moves left or right. So for example, waves on a lake, the particles that are waving just go up and down, even though the ripples go outward from a splash or a boat or something else along those lines. So when these compressions and rarefactions hit our eardrums, we interpret them as sound. So to define a wave, you need four parameters. Now, often when math is initially taught and algebra is initially taught, the differences between constants, variables, and parameters are not made terribly clear. So we'll just take a moment to do that now. A constant is something that never changes. It has the same value everywhere you see it, not just in the formula you're looking at, but in every other formula. So these include regular numbers. Two is two no matter what. Pi is pi no matter what. The square root of five is the square root of five and so forth. Those are constants. Variables are things like X and Y. Traditionally, the letters assigned to them come from the latter half of the alphabet. These are the ones which, when graphing, change at every single point along the curve. So if you're graphing a straight line with that Y equals MX plus B formula, where Y is the vertical component or the vertical coordinate along the axis, where X is the coordinate along the horizontal axis, where M is the slope, and where B is the Y-intercept, where the line crosses the y-axis, then you have two variables and two parameters. X and Y are the variables. Every single point along that line will have different values of X and Y. M and B are parameters. Now, the parameter is something that may change from question to question or instance to instance, such as the slope and Y-intercept of a straight line. But when you sit down and graph a particular line, those parameters do not change at any point within the graph. An individual wave can be defined mathematically using four parameters. One is the frequency. It's usually measured in hertz, which is the number of times something waves back and forth or up and down per second. So if you've got a 60 hertz frequency, such as we have in standard power in North America, or 50 hertz if you're in Europe, then that means the alternating current alternates back and forth 
60 or 50 times each second. The second parameter involved is the phase. This usually has no units. It indicates at what point in the wave the process starts. You know, not all waves have to start from their maximum compression or minimum compression or some average value. You could, in theory, start them at any point in the cycle because you can really determine when you start counting and when you start measuring time. So the phase is the parameter that lets you know where in that cycle you are when measurement begins. The amplitude of a wave gives you the variation from the highest to lowest point in a transverse wave, or most compressed to least compressed component of a longitudinal wave, and so forth. The final parameter is the average magnitude of the waves as you're going through. So in a lot of cases, that average is zero. The maximum compression is as compressed as the maximum rarefaction is rare or decompressed. There are cases where that won't be true, but for the most part, it is around zero. If you're using the same sort of formula to represent your position relative to the ground on a Ferris wheel, then the average is the center of the Ferris wheel, or the height of the center above ground. And then as you track your height, the maximum is the top of the Ferris wheel, the minimum is the bottom, the average is not zero because that would be ground level, and most Ferris wheels are not half buried underground. They wouldn't rotate very well that way. So when we're talking about sound, we interpret frequency as the pitch. The average human ear can detect frequencies from 20 hertz at the low end, so that's a very deep bass sound, up as high as about 20,000 hertz, or 20 kilohertz, which is a very high-pitched squeal. The higher the pitch, the higher the frequency, the squealier it sounds. Amplitude is something that we interpret as volume especially in combination with the average value of the wave. Now, when two waves cross, you get what we call interference patterns. So, for example, if you drop two stones in a lake, when the crests or the high parts of the ripples meet each other, they both rise. When the troughs meet each other, they both drop down. And you'll get higher crests and lower troughs than you would with just one wave alone. If you watch carefully, if a crest meets a trough and they are comparable in amplitude, they can cancel each other out completely, and there's no visible wave at that point. The same thing happens with the compressions and rarefactions with sound. If one source is trying to compress the sound and the other is trying to rarefy it, you're going to have relatively little difference between the two. So this is ultimately how we can start to represent sound from multiple sources in a single source coming into a single microphone. As the compressions and rarefactions pile in, we don't measure the individual sources. This is why we need advanced digital tools to remove noise and background sounds, and even that is not always as efficient as it should be, but we're actually measuring the net result or the sum of all the waves piling up to a single point at once. And when they pile on the microphone, they move a diaphragm in the microphone back and forth. As you hit it with a compression, you put pressure on it, it gets further away from the source. If it hits a rarefaction, it moves further towards the source because there's less pressure on that side of the diaphragm now. From there, different microphones have different processes to measure how things are going and to translate that into a signal. But for the most part, when the diagrams are moving, that somehow generates an electrical current, which may or may not need to be amplified, and which may or may not respond to different frequencies with different sensitivities. But it's this ultimate curve that gets encoded as sound, and that's what we're hearing. So we lose the directionality information that we have, not because it's built into the sound waves, because we process it because our heads essentially have two microphones. We've got two ears on the average human being. And we have learned to interpret what we hear through those ears 
in terms of sound. If we hear something better on one side or one ear than we do on the other, we have learned to interpret that as being an object to that side of our body. Similarly, there's a slightly different quality of sound for sounds that come in through the front of the ears versus the rear, and we can use that information for side-to-side information and deductions and so forth, which is how we can use two points and have a pretty good idea of where any given sound is coming from. Now, when that gets recorded in a magnetic recorder, as it was in this story, what's really happening is that the amplitude of the waves at different points and the position of that wave is being recorded in a magnetic medium in a series of typically numerical values. And then when they're read back, those values are translated into instructions for the attached speaker to vibrate and to create compressions and rarefactions of similar amplitudes, so similar volumes and similar frequencies, just as they were coming in. You'll often hear about sampling rates in digital audio. The higher the sampling rate, the more data points they're using to build this curve that's being represented. And the more data points you have, the more accurate the representation is. If your sample rate is too low, it will come out in the podcast or whatever else you're recording at the time. So that is sound encoding in a nutshell, and how sounds from multiple sources become a single source coming out of a single speaker. Join us again the last Wednesday of next month and every month thereafter as we discuss comic book physics. We will continue to draw inspiration from the unofficial 75 Greatest Marvels Countdown podcast until May of 2016. Following that, we are reopening the floor for submissions at bureau42podcasts at gmail.com. In the meantime, please feel free to rate the show on iTunes or Stitcher or any other podcast catcher you use that allows ratings. It really does help the podcast get noticed. Share it with friends who you think may enjoy it. And finally, thank you for listening.